Practicing on it, practicing it, practicing taking pictures with it. Thank you. Practicing with it, taking pictures of the chickens. Hmm. That's fun. Ma, why don't you tell us if there's anything interesting going on with you? Oh, not much. Started playing Apex Legends the other day. It's pretty cool, but. But what? It's just like really addictive. Like it tries to get you addicted to the game so that you'll spend money on it. And I don't like that. No, I that I, I hate that kind of stuff from games. It feels so manipulative. Well, manipulative. I would see it's really fine because it's like giving you a piecemeal option to pay for the game as you want. Oh. I just feel like I'm getting manipulated because it's free to begin with. Yeah, that's right. It's free, but it's never really free. So, um, I guess now it's time for our segment where we tell the listeners something new about us so just let them know you know a fact about us oh, so they get to know us a little bit not like what's been going on in our lives but i like haven't prepared anything oh for that's this good segment. that's good so that's it'll be good? raw yeah okay so uh yeah what um what's something you like i like dogs <laughs> why do you like dogs because they're cute and they're the best i like cats too don't get me wrong it's just oh here's a good fact ross is deathly allergic to cats so mm-hmm. in the time that we've been together i have uh, the distance between me and cats have grown further i still love them i'm not e- but i just i can't even pet them or i come home and ross is like cats <laughs> <laughs> you are a wonderful woman who cares for me <laughs> so deeply that you've ignored cats for the last decade it's almost. hard cats are really cute they're mm-hmm. so cute they are i too wish i could love cats fully and i'm sorry that you have <laughs> suffered it's this all right. injustice it's on my I'm, behalf. I'm just happy it's not dogs because i hope to own a dog one day uh, no i mean i sometimes i have like mild allergies to dogs like but it's nothing like cats you know like how a cat dog hair will make you sneeze sometimes yeah. something like all that. right this is getting boring sing the theme song wait you didn't ask me about my life that was your life that you were allergic to cats you brought it back to me oh my god account. tell me something interesting about your life in this segment we never discussed you're supposed to ask me what do you like what do you like ask me again <laughs> what do you like <laughs> thanks i really like philosophy oh my god <laughs> Now you're supposed to ask me, why do you like it? Why do you like it? I don't know. I just, I find it very interesting thinking about what is right, what is possible, and the woulds, the shoulds, the coulds. (laughs) When you said woods, I thought you were talking about a forest. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what does that have to do with philosophy? Uh, It actually has a lot. Woods are a great place to think about. (laughs) Philosophy. Yeah, they're a very pensive location. Mm, certainly. <laughs> All right, now I think we're ready. Okay, well, I did it last time, so you have to sing the theme song. Okay. One, two, one, two, a three, two, one. Who counts like that? <laughs> <laughs> Who 
Aren't you no, supposed to go up? No, it's watch. the one. A yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I this don't is know. so embarrassing. Gonna watch a movie. Do 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 do. Gonna talk about it. Do 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 do. Is it good? Is it bad? Two person movie club. Do 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 do. Yay! Welcome to two person movie club. What are we? What are we talking about this week, Ross? This week, I mean. It hasn't even been a week since we watched it our last one, so I don't know if that's the right term, but it was last night. What are we watching this week, Ross? <laughs> <laughs> last night, we watched Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, but maybe we should take a second just to recognize how awesome the soundtrack to Kickboxer really is. Oh my is. god, please stop! Because We're not about kickboxer well anybody who watched listened to our last podcast or watched kickboxer will know how awesome the soundtrack is i'm still jamming out to it yeah at the i don't what's i i was gonna say at the behest of me but that's not the right word at the the begrudgingness of me because you know it's a fine soundtrack but every gosh darn day every day i think you just don't have the heart of the hero no i don't think so i don't think there's an eagle following me around (laughs) connecting to my soul and i don't think that you um i'm ready to surrender you're ready to let me (laughs) 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 this week we watched whatever happened to baby this week we surrendered to yeah we surrendered to baby Baby Jane. jane what do you think good or bad I think it was good, but I think for my personal taste, it wasn't my favorite. I agree. It was good. It's not possible to say that it isn't a good movie. No, it's a great, it's it's definitely a great film. All of the technical parts are there. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of like context to the film itself. There's a lot of things that go into this movie that make it a great film. It's also two hours and 18 minutes long yeah the length of it gets in the way of its enjoyment for us modern viewers oh sorry the exact running time is 133 minutes the running time is a bit difficult for people in the modern day due to the slow nature of the movie itself i don't necessarily (laughs) i don't necessarily think it's difficult for people of the modern day i think it's difficult for the people of me and you who watched it, started it at 11 o'clock last night. Yeah. We had to take an intermission in the middle. Mm-hmm. If anyone out there knows wh- about the reboost, that we needed a reboost in the middle. Yeah, and it was a journey. Because, yeah, we, we started really late. But also, I don't think what I was saying is wrong. I think the movie is, it has a very slow, steady progression and due to the fact that there's pretty much one set in the whole movie it's like the house that's pretty much where the movie takes place yeah it's a bit of a pressure cooker Mm -hmm. and also since it was made in 1962 sensibilities were quite stronger back then so you know some of the lengths it goes to i'm sure that was absurd in 1962 i'm sure many a woman felt the vapors during a certain scene well i heard you listening to the trailer the movie and they just hype it up it's like the uh trailer for the exorcist you know Mm -hmm, how mm -hmm. they try to is it what did that happen in the exorcist where they try to amp it up like it was going to make you sick and make you vomit 
in the trailers. I think I they mean, did, right? I can't tell you for sure. I haven't done any re- recent research on The Exorcist, but I do know but that I it, know made people, people it made sick. people sick. It did make people sick. And you were listening to the trailer, and the guy in the trailer is saying, oh, the heights of horror. Yeah. <laughs> just try to remember this is just a moving picture. Come see the suspense. Yeah, it's really funny. It was really fun watching the trailer for like the original trailer for this because it seems like trailers back then were stories in themselves. They weren't exactly trying to get you to they're not trying to tell you what the plot of the film is. They're trying to tell you a story about the film. So like the very first scene of the trailer is this guy being like, this man's planning a murder. And it's the director of the film. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes on to talk about the director's bona fides and the actresses. And it's very interesting. Yeah, it's a really, I would love to see a trailer come out like that. Whatever happened to baby Jane? (laughs) Betty Davis is Jane Hudson. (laughs) Joan Crawford is Blanche Hudson. But we must warn you. If your long-standing fans of Miss Davis and Miss Crawford, this motion picture is quite unlike anything they have ever done. It is a bold essay in the art of the macabre. Adventure to the ultimate reaches of terror. A motion picture definitely not for the screaming. And we beg you, as the tension builds to the screaming point, as shock after shock assaults your senses, try to remember this is only a motion picture. Try and remember. And there, there's something... Now, we're talking about the trailer. There's something else in the movie. It's pretty early on in the movie that strikes a similar tone in that it's a way that things were done in the past that they're not done now. And it's something that I... A part of the movie I really, really like. Where they're watching one of the main characters movies and then a commercial comes in yeah blanche is up in her room watching one of her old movies because there's a station playing her old movies well we're not really in their house we're in the neighbor's house Uh. and it's the neighbor um, the character's name is mrs bates and she has a daughter right and the daughter is watching the movie with the mom and then the commercial comes in and the guy stereotypical suave ad man sitting at the table says something he's like along the lines oh of, we're not trying to interrupt your movie but, but you're gonna thank us when you see this great deal for your favorite friend fido or something yeah, like dog, that so advertising dog yeah. food and the daughter of the neighbor character gets really pissed that this ad is interrupting <laughs> her movie but to us as modern viewers this ad is so uh, different and straightforward from what we're used to expecting from ads, but the exact same we have the exact same reaction these days to ads, which is, ah, oh, get out of here skip ad, right. or if an ad comes up in your video, like, oh, I'm not watching that video right. anymore, S- keep scrolling Right, literally, if I'm watching a video on Facebook and there's an advertisement in the middle, I'm done I'm done, I don't care how cute the puppy is, I don't care how good the cake looks, like I'm done with that video. What if it was more like the old ads and a guy came on and just started talking directly to you? That's like kind of weird. Yeah. 
how like uh what's the word customized the advertisement was because it literally was just for that moment so yeah. was was it like a live advertisement was that guy just sitting there waiting to be cut to to talk about dog food it might have been it might have been i mean i don't know how those old ads like that were made but it seemed like he maybe he was in the studio for whenever they decided to do the ad because he's he even talks about the, the movie film. but it's it still like, oh, sorry to interrupt this movie particularly you know it still could have been pre-recorded it could have been could've. sorry to break in on this fine old blanche hudson movie folks but you'll be glad i did when you see what i have right here for that favorite pooch of yours but yeah anyways you're yeah. immediately you're immediately aware that this movie is a piece of its time yes it's a little time capsule which Definitely. i i love watching movies that are little time capsules mm-hmm yeah, and that's why this movie, wh- why we were drawn to this movie in the, to begin with is because it's from such a long time ago and it's something that your mom had recommended well, to us. And to give the film some context of why we watched it, Ross touched yeah. the surface on it. When we, As I said last week, I'm really into RuPaul and all Drag Race. And in, in All Star Seasons 2, they do a spoof called... What ha happened to baby JJ? <laughs> what ha happened to baby JJ? Yeah. <laughs> so we watched that and it kind of intrigued me because I like horror. I like psychological stuff and it seemed very interesting. So then I was looking it up and then I asked my mom and she was like, whoa, you got to watch this movie. It's so good. You would really like it. And that's why we watched it. I hope your mom listens to hear your impersonation of her. That wasn't really a lint. That was my general impersonation of anybody. <laughs> anybody. Anybody who's excited. Bah! Bah! <laughs> this is so great. All right. So I think it's time now for us to uh, talk about the plot. Oh, wait. What's happening? <laughs> There's some kind of interference. <laughs> it's destroying. Ah. No! <laughs> it's dead. <laughs> Just kidding. So, <clears throat> we had a little technical difficulties yesterday. So, what you heard previous to this was already recorded, and then there was about 80% more content coming after that, but uh, it was lost into the void. And, you know, we could have given up. We could have thrown in the towel, but instead we decided to double down and watch the 1991 remake of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. So now you're getting two movies for the price of one. Never surrender. (laughs) Watching Whatever Happened to Baby Jane from 1992? One. One. Was, I don't know. I want to tell you it was a good decision, but <laughs> it was a really, really terrible one. Let's try to discuss the original right. with the th- with the remake as more of a sideshow for right. comparison's sake. Right. Um, it's like the 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 original will be the entree and the remake will be the appetizer that or not the appetizer the side dish that you know sometimes we'll use as a bit of a palate cleanse mm, the side dish that you sent back because <laughs> it wasn't what you ordered it was terrible and it was exactly what we ordered 
we knew what we were getting into. I don't think anyone ordered that. That's the thing. It's like, I kind of respect whoever did that for trying, but... Don't try next time. Or just try harder. I mean... I think you could definitely remake Baby Jane and... Well, that... <laughs> When I went to go, because I always like to look up trivia about movies and fun facts, as some of you might be aware. And when I went to go look up trivia for the 1991 remake, the only thing, there were two things that were at the forefront. The first one was that this is a remake of the 1962 classic, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? And then the second fact was that the actresses who play Jane and Blanche were sisters in real life. Right. So that was an actual fun fact. Mm -hmm. But I didn't even fact check it. So who knows if that's true. That's how little I cared about this movie <laughs> is that I did not fact check. Well, they both have the same last name. Oh, so. so that's enough fact checking for me. Okay. But we haven't even talked about the characters of Blanche and Jane. Well, we yet, haven't even so. talked about the plot. So let me take a stab at summarizing the plot of this movie well, as quickly as possible. How many sentences shall I award you? However many you deem necessary. I think I'm going to need at least four. I'm going to give you three just to challenge you. Holy shit. Okay, let me try this. All right, so it's 1917, and we're introduced to Baby Jane, who is a vaudeville child star and also a brat, and overshadows her sister Blanche. We jump ahead to 1935, where now Blanche is a star in Hollywood, and baby Jane is all washed up. Now we jump ahead of, well, shit, I need another sentence. After a tragic accident in which Blanche is crippled and Jane is thought to be the culprit, the two live together and eventually their relationship spirals into insanity. That's pretty good. Yeah. I would have said that it's the more the focal point of the movie more so is about baby Jane's unraveling sanity. Yes. Yeah, definitely the focal point is more. And as her sanity unravels, so does the relationship between the two sisters. Right. Like you said, you you three sentences make sense because in this movie you get three different time periods. Yes. Which is great because it really shows you what you need to know about the history of these characters right and if you watch the remake you'll see immediately they spend no time showing you they would rather just tell you what's happening it's easier to write something on the page than it is to write a, a in the screenplay how you're going to show it that takes skill just writing down the information coming out of a character's mouth it's fairly easy. Right. And I'm sure those of you who like are into movies know the age old adage of show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. Like this is a moving picture. You know, you can show us that a child is bratty. You don't need another child being like, she's so mean to me. I think she's crazy. Yes. This, the remake is so bad about that. It insults you. Yeah, and, and, it, but the, also the original is so masterful at showing and it does it shows in a way that is compelling as well as you know informative about these characters right and we were complaining a little bit about the long run time it's two hours and 13 minutes run time but none of the scenes feel like filler in this movie no 
No, all the scenes have a purpose. Right. And it's a very character-driven movie. So you need these moments with these characters to see what their um, motivation, yeah. what their motivations What's are. What's going on in their heads? Because you're with these two sisters. The one that's paralyzed is Blanche Hudson. So and She's played by Joan Crawford. Played by Joan Crawford. She was originally in the shadows, then rose to prominence later in life, uh, but then was crippled. And in her prime. Right, and baby Jane has to take care of her. The other character is Jane Hudson. Who is played by Betty Betty Davis. I was yes. about to say Betty White. <laughs> Betty Davis. I always trip over that. I, I either go towards Betty White or Betsy De DeVos or whatever. <laughs> oh, the, um, yeah. Secretary wow. of Education. Because it's like right in the middle there. Yeah, it is right. I called her <coughs> Betsy yesterday. Yeah. So... Yeah, you have these two characters. The movie's about them. If you don't know what's going on in their heads, or if you're not thinking about what's going on in your head, their heads, this movie is going to be boring and stupid and pointless. Right, because it's just going to come off as two old biddies nagging each other. Right, and yeah, there's a little, there's some fun goofs and gas along the way, but if you don't, if you're not tapped into these characters psychologically, it's not going to very meaningful so yeah we start off in 1917 where we see the probably the most memorable scene of the movie where the young baby jane is in her prime she's on stage performing with her father the song that we were singing earlier oh my god it's the little earworm letter to daddy yeah it is sad day instead of stamps i put kisses as the postman says that's best to do <laughs> and she's getting a great reception from the crowd her dad is playing the piano and from the shadows mom and blanche are watching and there's one thing about the show that's really important to the plot which is that they are selling these massive eerily lifelike dolls there's creepy because they're the size of an actual girl right and that is very important to the themes of the film because the doll it's, of course it's like a physical representation of baby jane's childhood because that's when she was perfect it is and it's also a product so it's a commodification of childhood of baby jane herself turning her into a product and then immortalizing her freezing her kind of capturing that slice of herself and then it can't a doll can't grow a doll can't right. change you can only paint makeup on it it's and like arrested development exactly. essentially she can't the doll can never change or grow mm -hmm. and it's symbolic of baby jane who can never change or grow and in fact any change that she does make gets reverted throughout the movie as she yeah. becomes more and more childlike right and the, the one of the interesting questions is like who who did this to baby jane was it the father was it herself or was it her sister blanche well because you i feel like the importance of this opening scene is that we kind of see the into the psychology of Jane like this sets her up her character up for the entire movie we see her being the center of attention and absolutely loving it 
we see her being a total brat to her entire family and like she's doing it in front of her fans and her dad knows this is a bad look but Jane doesn't care because she's a bratty little child who just wants some ice cream and when you see a kid this age acting up like that you have to wonder at what point do you stop blaming the child and start blaming the parents yeah it seemed like the dad was trying to kind of put the kibosh on on baby Jane's tyrancy yeah bratty behavior but uh in the end he gives in right well because and you learn later well i guess we have to take the older jane's word for it but she says like my money puts food on the table like i i used to put food in your mouth so you have to wonder how much jane was actually supporting the family that she was allowed to run rampant and become this brat Exactly. They didn't want to make her mad because they were getting their food from her. And right. Um, I really, really love in the <laughs> in the remake how we don't really see any scenes of the young baby Jane being a brat. She has one throwaway line, which like I grew up with girls and that we say that kind of shit all the time. It's just like, oh, you're too boring. That's hardly an insult. But we do hear her sister Blanche <laughs> yeah, this say, is what I was getting she's to. so crazy. Well, no, she's like, I don't understand, Jane. Sometimes she's really nice to me, but then sometimes she's mean. I think she's crazy. <laughs> and there you go. You've been told <laughs> what, how to think about the character. That's right. all you need. We what are you, greedy for them to show you things like, right what are you thinking and i'm sorry but is there anything easier than showing a child being a brat it is quite easy it is quite easy one of the things that the remake does that i found interesting is that it actually shows the two being sisterly towards each other yeah because they're at the beach and they're like playing around with some sunscreen and stuff and it's nice seeing them be that i did like that we got to see him be a little bit sisterly i like that too but the original is so long <laughs> i don't want them adding anything else no 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 it's not necessary and the movie it the best word to describe whatever happened to baby jane is taught it's taught but it's very long every single piece is like a an important piece of the puzzle that builds to the next level of what's going on in the movie and it's and it it's all kind of tied in with all these little suspense kind of scenes and sets that get that get put together and it goes on a little bit longer than you'd like but i can't imagine taking anything out of it no me either i feel like like, because I was thinking, like, oh, my God, this movie is so long, but it doesn't feel bloated. Sometimes you're watching a long movie, and it feels like, yeah, we could trim we could trim a few pounds off of this movie. But I, I didn't think this movie felt bloated. It needed the time to get the full story across. Right. Um. So, yeah, we get this setup about Jane when she's a kid. We get and to see into her psychology and sort of why she is the way she is. The way and there's an adult. important line at the end of this opening scene where Jane's sister Blanche is talking to her mom and her mom, she realizes that the behavior of the dad and Jane is inappropriate and she wants to caution Blanche against seeking revenge upon her family for this behavior. So she says something along the lines of, 
whenever you're older and you get more attention, don't treat your sister and your dad the way that they treated you. You have to remember my words. Yeah, she's like, be kind to your sister, all right? Will you remember that? And she, and you see Blanche's face, and she looks pissed. And she's like, I won't forget. Yeah. So for me, that tiny little moment kind of sets me up for my entire worldview of Blanche. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we get the three timelines. First, 1917, we jump ahead. Now they're adults, and Blanche is the big star, while Jane his, has been relegated to these movie roles that aren't great, or she's not great in them. But she only does them because Blanche Blanche has a contract where she can only she'll only make a movie if they make a movie with Jane, too. We also learn that Jane has become a raging alcoholic and has assaulted apparently two police officers <laughs> yeah. in one of her binges. Because there's a couple of movie producers and they're talking about Jane's behavior on set and how she's not a very good actor and she's a lush and creating all these problems. But they have to make the movies because otherwise they won't have the big star Blanche Hudson. Right, she's the hottest thing in Hollywood in this year. And that leads us up to the basically the opening credits. Yeah, this is all prologue, essentially. Right. And um, the opening credits happen with this event, which is the crash. Yes. And there's a lot of stuff that happens off screen. There was a party, apparently. A party where Jane said some really nasty shit about Blanche and embarrassed her and they pull up to their house and jane is really really drunk what we see is a car accident and it's very vague about who is who in the positioning of this car accident all we see is the gate to their house a woman from behind opening the gate a woman from behind driving the car and so i think at this point we might as well just talk about the the overall twist of the movie because if we don't talk about it it's difficult to really contextualize the stuff that happens in the movie yeah that's true once the once the twist at the end is revealed the the overall context of the movie changes dramatically right so when we went into this movie, I knew the twist. So I feel like my views on certain characters, essentially Blanche, were very different from your views on Blanche. And my opinion of her is much lower than your opinion. So spoiler, spoiler, spoiler warning. If you haven't seen this movie and you care about how it ends, goodbye. <laughs> no, don't I hope goodbye. you come back. Just listen and then you'll have the proper context when you watch the movie. Or pause it and then go watch the movie and then come back and finish listening. Yes, a simple two hour and 15 minute pause. But maybe don't start at 11 p.m. Anyway, yeah, so the, the, the way that this scene is shot is really cool because it's, um, it's sort of like a freeze frame on the car and the camera pans around to different parts of the, the crash site where there's the, the broken gate and there's a broken doll. The baby Jane doll's been shattered. And it's, it's a cool way to do the opening credits. And the music is good, too. Uh, music by Duvall, which 
is quite striking throughout yeah. the movie. I'm a fan of Duvall. So yeah, the opening credits is basically like a montage of photos from the crash scene. But we yeah. don't see any bodies. We don't see any blood. No. They did their best in 1960s to portray a car crash without any CGI. No, there's no effect. It's well, there is an effect. They lo- they zoom in on the the license plate, and there's a sound, and then the image just shakes vibrates, around a bit. Yeah, and uh, it's quite effective. Okay. But yeah, so the the main twist. So we ju- after this car crash, we jump ahead to 1962. And the neighbors are talking about it. The The neighbor woman and her daughter are talking about it. And from what they say, Jane was the one who crashed into Blanche. Because we see that now Blanche is paralyzed from the waist down. She's in a wheelchair. And everybody believes that it was Jane driving the car because she's a lush. And even Jane herself believes that she was driving the car because, you know, they found Blanche in the debris. And they didn't find Jane until three days later, drunk and shacked up with some guy. So we go through the whole movie believing that Jane was the one that paralyzed Blanche. Right. But the way that the crash scene is shot to the modern viewer, uh, it's kind of obvious that there's meant to be a twist. Absolutely. Because they don't show exactly who is where. They just shoot people from from the waist down. And they have scarves around their head as old Hollywood starlets used to do. Yeah. So it's clear that there's meant to be a sort of switcheroo. Occurring. Yeah. And ambiguity to the scene. Right. And to, it like in these days, you know, we know the tropes. There's websites dedicated to movie tropes. So when we watch it, we're like, oh, there's something going on. But maybe back in 1962, they're like, oh, the drama. Yes. So. The from that point forward, Jane has suffered the guilt for all these years of crippling her sister. Yeah, she takes care of Blanche. She makes all the food. She brings her drinks. I'm assuming she bathes her and takes her to the bathroom and all kinds of stuff. She's essentially Blanche's keeper. Yeah, and Blanche just spams on her little call button. <laughs> Maybe I'll put in some call button noises for you to enjoy here. (laughs) Or Kelsey will just mimic them accurately. If you were feeling annoyed, then you kind of can relate to Baby Jane a little bit. You miserable. Yeah, the call button is a big part because that's the way that Blanche, even though she's paralyzed, maintains control over Jane. She is. She essentially has Jane on a leash, kind of tending to her every beck and call. And this is paradoxical because Blanche is the one who's paralyzed. Right. And yet she is the one who is in control or is the one who's being tended to. Right. It's kind of like how people joke about having cats, you know? Like if aliens came to Earth, they would think that cats were the superior being because we clean up their shit (laughs) and feed them. Yeah, it is kind of like that. And so this part of the movie, we get introduced to... Were you going to tell us the twist, though? I thought that's what this was all leading up to. Right. So the twist is that it it was actually Blanche who tried to run down Jane because she was pissed about what Jane did at the party. We don't what? Get to... Oh 
my god. Tell us the twist. We didn't get to see what happened at the party, so we don't know whether this behavior is justified, assuming that it's not. But she runs into the gate trying to hit Jane. Jane is a drunken master, apparently, dodges the car. <laughs> and But Blanche crashes into the gate, paralyzes herself, drags herself under the car, and the cops arrive, and they assume that Jane did it, and I guess Blanche just doesn't get in the way of their assumptions. Maybe potentially even planned for that assumption to be made. And that that's revealed at the very end. Yes. Uh, so this whole time, there's a sort of an ascending level of tension and violence from Jane towards Blanche. And not only that, but there's a sending level of victimhood for Blanche because as the movie continues, Blanche is more and more victimized and gaslit. Yes. But when you have this extra little tidbit, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, well, who is antagonizing who? Exactly. So the gaslighting takes on a whole new level because you see that it's actually going in both directions and maybe even just in one direction from from Blanche to Jane like Blanche has been gaslighting Jane the whole time and whenever whenever you watch it whenever I watch it the first time and Jane is always calling Blanche a liar Mm -hmm. it feels so like oh no like Jane's going crazy she she just she's just calling her a liar to like invalidate anything that she says so that then she can make up her own new story about it but really jane is right yeah blanche is a liar she didn't tell her about selling the house yeah she like she kind of i mean in the remake it's explicit yeah, that she re- has plans to put her in a home yeah, or something absolutely in in the remake they don't want to leave anything to the imagination they want you to know that blanche is being kind of shitty yeah yeah it's it's more clear but also, the actress who plays Blanche in the remake is just a total non-entity. No, she's a bargain bin Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, she's terrible. And Joan Crawford as Blanche is very likable, very charismatic. Very charming. She, yeah, she's very quiet and positive and optimistic and kind, at least at first glance. But once you kind of see her character in the whole light of the truth it gives a lot more perspective to what she's doing right and it's funny because we were after we recorded yesterday i was thinking like so ultimately who is worse blanche or jane and you know up until the point where blanche starts or up until the point where jane starts going crazy it's like well you know blanche or jane serves her a dead bird and a dead rat and is starving her and cutting her off from society but um Blanche did try to murder Jane. Yes, tried and failed and wounded herself. And then let Jane take the fall for it. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to see it as like Jane, go- bra- Jane has broken and is trying to take the power back in the dynamic. It's it's like a rubber band, you know, you pull it and then it snaps back. And it smacks you in the hand. Yeah, it's like she has been twisted psychologically. Essentially, the, the suffering has been inflicted on Jane psychologically to a point where now she has no choice but to, to, to let that suffering bounce back onto 
onto Blanche physically um, because she has no other choice but to like that's all she knows now is right this, like, is this suffering and pr- imprisonment right her grasp on reality is absolutely gone mm-hmm. and at this point in the movie we see her basically revert to being a child and what are children children i mean i love don't get me wrong i love kids there are some great kids out there but kids can be very petty and cruel because they are ignorant or lack the empathy to relate to someone. And I feel like that's part of the reason why Jane goes down such a dark path, because she's like a child living in an adult world. Yeah, so maybe we should talk a little bit about Betty Davis's performance. Oh my Jane. God, she's amazing. Well, first off, she looks she looks unhinged she looks proper unhinged. she looks old as hell and ratchet yeah and they're supposed to be around the same age i guess it's not really explicitly said but meanwhile blanche the crippled sister looks still pretty beautiful she has it seems like she has some makeup on to kind of give her that older look but but it's a natural makeup her hair is perfectly coiffed she's always wearing very stylish and chic clothing she just gives off an air of old hollywood elegance Mm -hmm. even from her wheelchair right meanwhile she's very whimsical even in the way she talks like oh jane the neighbors watched my movies did they like it as if like she's performing a scene in one of her movies right right and that's something you brought up which that she is an actress they're both actresses but it seems like everything that Blanche says or does is sort of an act. Right. It's that's a little meant to have some. It's meant to have a goal or a kind of aim at the end. A de- there's a there's an underlying deception to everything that she does. Right. It feels like sister, at least. it feels like there's layers with Blanche. Mm-hmm. Like she's not so shallow as to ask if the neighbor loves the film. I think underneath she knows. That by saying that to Jane, who feels all these intense feelings of guilt and inadequacy, she knows that's like a little jab at her. Like, oh, the neighbors watched my film? My films are on TV? Did they like my films? Right. There's there's an inherent knowledge that she is sort of like a psychological abuser, and she knows how to push Jane's buttons. And she never stops. She never stops pushing the buttons until her life she realizes is going to be threatened and then she starts to come clean right right so yeah betty davis though her makeup she does her own makeup in this movie yeah. and it's just grotesque right um well that's a fun fact is that she does her own makeup she felt like jane the character would be the kind of woman who wouldn't wash off her makeup and then put on a new fresh coat she would just keep layering it on top of the old makeup and it comes through so good in the 1962 version. Whereas in the 1991 version, as soon as baby Jane walked on screen, I heard this. Because she looked like a straight up clown. Yeah. But I do have to say, in some of those scenes, she looked really freaking creepy. That actress who played Jane in the new one, she did pretty good. Yeah, she did much, 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 much better than New Blanche. 
Yeah. Let's call him. We'll we'll verify. We have yeah, new Jane. Jane Blanche and then new Jane, Jane, new Blanche. She was pretty good. She was kind of intimidating and scary in some of the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. There were definitely some scenes in the remake where I was watching, particularly scenes with Jane, where you're watching her and you're like, oh, fuck. She crazy. Yeah. But the, the, the main difference between these movies is that the original, every single bit is mindfully created. It's crafted by the director and the actors. It's got this artistic feeling where you're witnessing something that has meaning to it. And then the new one, it's just a series of images and noises coming at you. And the things that they show don't even seem to have a lot of meaning sometimes. And you're left kind of scratching your head. Why did they show me that? And it just doesn't have any of the gravitas or the, the emotion Right, of the original. And I give them some credit for trying to change some of the scenes of terror. Sure. I think that that could be a really cool idea. I think the idea of trying to remake the Baby Jane in a more modern setting is cool. Because it it necessitates you change it a lot because the technology has improved and everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like the story could be the same because the story of the washed up child actress is just as relevant today. Certainly. However, certainly. all of the fixings and accoutrement could be updated mm-hmm. in a way that I think could be done very interestingly and poignantly. But in this time, ta- in this one, they just kind of like take certain things out and like, oh, what would we replace that in with the nineties? Oh, she wrote a note in the original. She'll she'll record a record a voice recording on a tape in the nineties <laughs> and then throw that out the window. I'll like s- what? Also, for some reason in the 90s, some of the characters got changed from women to men. Yeah. Such as, like, in the, the original, we have Mrs. Bates and her daughter as the neighbors. And that, too, yeah. But now we have, who, what was their name? It was I don't a wife and a husband. A wife and a husband. And the husband, my God. I want you to picture in your head, generic 80s businessman. And now you've seen him. Yes. He's got the suspenders. He's got the really poofed up hair. He's got a very square face and just, uh, I don't even know. But this made me think of the (laughs) the one wonderful gem from the remake movie, which is a line from Jane to the the, the businessman neighbor. Because she's all Jane's all pissed off about the dog barking. Oh yeah! And she's talking to the guy about what to like to take it to an obedience school, and he's like, "Yeah, oh, we're looking at a bunch of schools right now," and she's like, "Look harder, make it a quest." Oh yeah! <laughs> yes, yes, I love that so much. Make it a quest. Oh, I'm using that. That's coming into my repertoire. Anytime I'm telling someone to do something and they're like, I don't know. Make Make it it a quest. quest. (laughs) Because if you're on a quest, like, you're going to go to any lengths. Yeah. How noble. How noble. I'm on a quest. Exactly. It's good. It's good. It was a really good line. But, yeah, anyways, let's go. Let's rewind to the original. So, Betty Davis is amazing as Baby Jane. Throughout the movie, she becomes more and more unhinged and detached from reality. She starts terrorizing her sister more and more. Can you give us a couple highlights of the terrorism we see from Baby Jane? Yeah, I just want to give some highlights of Betty Davis's performance, though, first. Okay, yeah. So, like, there, there's so many good scenes with her where she's just chewing it up. She's just 
killing it. But one highlight that comes to mind is her performances, her like lip sync performances <gasps> of her impersonation of her sister Blanche on the phone. So like sh- that's part of her taking the power from Blanche is like Blanche would call people on the phone. But now baby Jane is going to pretend to be Blanche and take away her autonomy. Right. She's going to call the liquor store. And those scenes where she was doing the lip syncs were so good. When we were watching it, we were like, is she really doing that? And that's maybe that has something to do with like, I don't really fully understand why the, Betty Davis or why this movie is meaningful or, or is part of kind of a gay um, um, history or gay culture or whatever. I don't really I, understand that. I was looking it up and I think it's just because both Joan Crawford and Betty Davis are gay icons and I was trying to look into that a little bit. Is it because they did a lot of musicals or something? No, I think it's because they were both like women struggling in a man's society like they had to be strong. And also, you know, Joan Crawford was bisexual, allegedly was bisexual right. and that had relationships sense. with men and women. So I, it makes a little bit more sense for Joan Crawford. But when I was reading articles about Betty Davis, it seemed like people didn't really even know why she was a gay icon. Well, yeah. And then there's this aspect of the lip sync and the the extreme facial overselling performance of the lip sync to joan crawford's voice because she couldn't mimic it well enough but the fact that she does it to her actual voice it's so creepy and betty davis's performance is awesome but then that comes back to the the fact that you know being a drag queen lip syncing imitating is a a big part of it right And, and then in the remake there's actually a drag queen in it and but i kind of felt like they were being a little bit rude about the drag queens. There was some real weird shit. Okay, yeah. there's a character in the remake called Billy Corn. No, he, Billy Corn? Yeah, Billy Corn. Yeah. Billy Crack Corn and I, I don't care. Billy Corn is ridiculous. Right. And if we're going to talk about Billy Corn, we need to give a shout out to Edwin. Because yes. in the original movie, Betty Davis, Baby Jane, decides she wants to revitalize her act. So she needs somebody who plays the piano. In comes Edwin, this large British man with an overbearing mom and maybe a slight Oedipal complex. Yeah, maybe, maybe. There's, uh, it's, there's a lot we could talk about with this uh, Edwin, Edwin char- character. He's an oddball, but all you need He's to really know. really strange, all all you need to know is he agrees to play the piano for Betty Davis and there's some weird sexual tension between them because he has a bit of an edible complex. Is she it edible or is edible, it non-edible? Edible, Oedipus, whatever. She <laughs> has a bit, she has some daddy issues. So, you know, it's a kind of a match made in heaven. The thing is, this character, I think it's not so explicitly stated in the original that he is a con man or has is trying to just kind of get money out of it. It's sort of it's sort of shown, but then in the remake it's a little more clear that I don't know cuz he seems genuine, but he also just needs the money too. In the remake? Yeah. I Jimmy feel Korn, like he's Billy kind Korn? of I think it's more overt that he's a con man. He just wants he just wants baby Jane to perform with him. I think he's actually 
a Blanche Hudson fan and only knows about That's Baby Jane. That's true. He is just trying to get to Blanche. Yeah, because who does he play at the end? Mm-hmm. None other but Blanche. Yeah. Anyways, we're getting a little bit off So, track. yeah, so his name is Billy Corn with a K, so he's like the band Corn. <laughs> and that just struck me that maybe that's where Corn got their name. No, absolutely. I think did Corn form before before 1991? It was probably well known, man. I think they might have seen this I movie and been affected no. deeply. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm putting <laughs> a kibosh <laughs> on this. <laughs> Anyways, so Edwin's counterpart in the remake, Billy Corn, is not really anything like Edwin. No. He meets he meets baby jane at a movie a a movie rental and he knew who she was whereas in the original edwin was like um yeah he uh, pretends to know he pretends to know but he's a little bit more nice about it i think and immediately we get weird vibes from billy corn he's a bit of a strange looking man i don't know how to describe it it's (laughs) like he's got this really crazy hair that i kind of love i do love his hair it's very (laughs) full and curly and it looks very bouncy but anyway yeah like at at near the end of the movie in the original there's this whole part where because jane is has blanche locked up she is free to kind of live her fantasy of taking back her career okay so yeah we're getting kind of off track we'll talk Maybe we'll talk more about Billy Corn later. But there's a weird scene where they perform, and he's a drag queen, and all the people in the bar are just weirdos, and they're like meant to be really creepy. It and feels kind of. It feels kind of homophobic. It, does. it feels because like, you know, she comes out on the stage and she's lip syncing to the song, and then Billy Corn comes out, and it's revealed that he's a drag queen, and he's playing. They're they're performing a duet. Of Blanche and Jane, whereas Billy, wherein Billy is playing Blanche, and so immediately Jane's like, and she has a breakdown. And honestly, this breakdown is one of the best acting we see from her. But it feels very homophobic because while this woman is having this obvious mental breakdown, all of the drag queens in the crowd and are they even meant? They just look. I guess they're customers. Strange people. I don't don't know. But they're all jeering at her and, like, harassing her and booing her. Well, there's one person who seems to be, like, having a mind meld with Jane. And it's like, because Jane breaks down and starts singing her old lullaby song. And then this other woman who's there is, like, singing along with her. Yeah. It was really really odd. I don't know why it was happening. Anyway, let's get back to To Betty, Betty, who really deserves our attention here, not Jimmy Corns. Uh, so Betty, yeah, the lip syncing with the phone conversation, it's so entertaining. Her eye motions, she like rolls her eyes around and so expressive with her face. Yeah. What was one of your favorite moments of Betty's performance? Oh, it's easy. It's whenever she has, when we first kind of see that how far gone she is. And she's looking through one of her old photograph books of her when she was a young child star. And she starts to hear singing of the Letter to Daddy song. And she looks over, and it's the doll singing. And she joins along, and she starts to sing along. And she just looks so haunted and empty and vacant. It's really wild. And then the scene, the ending of the scene, we see her singing in the shadows as she looks in a mirror. And then she steps into the light. And she sees her old face 
and she freaks out. She covers it with her hands and she starts wailing. And it's just such a good moment because you can see and they, they show you rather than tell you that she's broken. Right. She's reverted to a child. She sees herself as an old woman. And, you know, if you were a little kid and if you had the mind of a child and you saw yourself being old, that would be horrifying. And that's kind of a trope that I really love. The child in the old person's body. It's really disturbing for, to me. Yeah, it is. It is because we value we as kind of young people we value our youth so much and it's but it's not always something that you have an easy time taking stock of right you kind of just assume like yeah i'm young i got a good good while left i got a lot of gas left in the tank but then when you see a character or something like transform from old to young it's so powerful because you're like oh wow they've just had what i take for granted robbed from them you know right it's there's something that's really jarring about it and kind of reminds us of our own own mortality because sometimes sure. you look in the mirror and you're just like what happened yeah and that's that is the essence of the what this kind of movie a uh, kind of genre that this movie spawned which is they call it the psycho bitty genre and it's old people who are crazy maybe because they're old or from some trauma that they've suffered and they start lashing out and doing horrific things and you know old ladies are kind of scary oh my god this again you had a chance to redeem yourself no they are and that's because they remind us so much of our own mortality and the own our fleeting nature not just of our bodies but of our minds as well and but why has it got to be the old ladies? What about the I old men? Know. Old men are just harmless. They fart. They putter around. You know, there's just something about an old woman. Well, you know what I have to say to that? Fuck you, patriarchy. You should be happy. You guys get to have the 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 spotlight here. Are you kidding me? Joan Crawford and Betty Davis had to fight to get this role because they're like, we don't want some washed up old bags in our movies. What do you mean? Whenever, you know, whatever happened to Baby Jane came out, they, well, what I read, so I'm sorry I didn't get a reference on this, but (laughs) I'm sure it's not so hard to believe that two older women in Hollywood in the 60s had trouble finding work. Well, how old were Joan Crawford and Betty Davis at the time? They wore a lot of makeup to make themselves seem older. But I'm not really sure, but I know that their heyday in the pictures was in the 30s, and this came out in the 60s, so they had to have been at least, like, 50. 50. Right. But uh, Betty Davis is wearing tons of makeup, and it makes her look way older. And her, you know, her the way she dresses, the way she holds herself, and the way and her wig all adds a lot of years to the way we perceive her. Right, but absolutely. And I think, I mean, obviously that's done on purpose because yeah. she's an alcoholic. Right, right. That's yet another thing that Blanche can lord over Jane is that, you know, Blanche got to hold on to her demure and beauty, whereas Jane has just wasted away. Exactly. Um. So do you have any more uh, Jane scenes you want to talk about? I gave you my favorite, so what's your favorite? Yeah, well, Betty Davis is really good throughout this movie. She's got a really good laugh at one point after she tricks Blanche with the food, which I'm not going to go into, but that's the whole thing with the food is great textbook suspense 
stuff where they really get you get they get you on the hook with the tricks of movie making. <laughs> that, that movie magic. Rascally director Robert Aldrich. You know he watched a few uh, Hitchcock movies and mm-hmm. he knows he knows how to get you. Um, but well, I'm trying to think. I can't really think of anything else in particular. No, she play. She's great at being drunk through the whole movie, though. Yeah, she's always sipping on a big glass of gin. Yeah, which was the, again a disappointment from New Jane and New Baby Jane because we see her in the beginning take a couple shots, which like well, she's holding the shot and she pours it into the shot and then immediately drinks it and then refills the shot glass, which is kind of weird. I don't know anyone who's done that, but maybe that's something alcoholics do or. I don't know. It's much less satisfying in the original Baby Jane. Our OG Baby Jane is co- constantly has a glass of liquor in her hand. Yeah, it and because the original shot in black and white, it just, you know, it could have been water. I don't know. But right. you buy it. You buy that she's just constantly drinking straight glasses of liquor, and it adds something to the character. Yes. Yes, and I feel like Baby Jane has some of the best lines in the movie as well. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite is when Blanche is trying to plead to her being like, oh, you know, if I die, uh, if I die, I'm not. there's not going to be any money, Jane. Don't you know that? Did you ever think of that? And Baby Jane's just like, yeah, I thought about that. Yeah. Ooh. It's really, really good. There's, another, there's a few other lines, too, like where – Blanche is telling her like oh if only I wasn't if only I wasn't in this wheelchair I could do this and this and but you are Blanche you are in that chair (laughs) and that uh that was something that was a big heavily featured in that RuPaul skit that kind of mocked the movie as well and I mean there's the the final line that's kind of heartbreaking but also kind of facetious yeah after Blanche gives her heartfelt um, confession to Jane. She looks at her and she's like, Ben, you mean all this time we could have been friends? Yeah, it's really heartbreaking. Because then at that point, Jane is... Has, she's gone. Yeah, she's uh, in the grips of like a full-blown dementia. She like doesn't know where she is or anything. other. She has kind of like only her memories of childhood stuff and her family and she just doesn't even realize what's going on right she's completely reverted even after at this point in the movie she's murdered someone and after she murdered them her lament was oh blanche eddie's not gonna like me because i did something bad didn't i oh what do i do blanche it's like something that it's how a child would react to doing something bad Mm -hmm. not how an adult would react to murdering someone in cold blood right right so the um so this is a suspense movie yes it's a suspense movie and what ratchets up the suspense is the fact that at the beginning of the movie things are fairly tame you know there there's a it's essentially going to happen whether we like it or not but at the beginning of the movie we get a sense that the house and jane and blanche are living in a somewhat of a harmonious fashion even though there's all this tension and gaslighting yeah but it hasn't boiled to the surface yet so jane or sorry blanche has you know all these privileges 
She has a phone. She has a buzzer. She's getting served her meal. She has a bird. She has a TV. Um, she can. She's signing the checks herself. And she has the housekeeper who she's friends with. Right. She gets to talk to the housekeeper. She gets to talk to the doctor. And I guess she talks occasionally with her business manager or somebody too. But as the movie goes on, Jane, one by one, she takes away every single thing that Blanche has step by step until Blanche is bound by the hands, tied to – her hands are like bound up to this thing that she would use to climb out of the bed. She's got duct tape over her mouth. Um, she hasn't eaten in days or however long. We don't really even know. Yeah. She hasn't drank any water. And she's she's like been beaten. Betty Davis kicks the shit out of her at one point. Yeah, she's so weak that she can barely she can barely talk at this point. At, yeah. at the end of the movie, she she can barely talk or move. Right. And it's that that whole process of every the audience at this point feels for Blanche and every single time something gets taken away from Blanche, the audience starts to feel more and more isolated, more and more hopeless more and more unable to escape and that is kind of the heart of the horror of the movie not just the tension right so first she takes away the tv then she takes away the bird yeah then she takes away the phone right and then she takes away the buzzer yeah and then the bird gets served back up to her as a meal yeah the food scenes are really good that's definitely one of the best set pieces is the food food warfare Mm -hmm. that Blanche, com- or not Blanche. Oh my God, these names. Because Betty, Joan, Blanche, Jane. Yeah, Betty is Jane. <laughs> Joan is Blanche. Joan, Blaine, Blanche, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> like how how can we keep these straight? We're trying. We're folks. doing our best. Anyway, yeah. So she she takes away everything. She locks the door. She fires the fires the housekeeper. Of course, the housekeeper is one of the best and smartest characters in the movie. Elvira. But then when she comes back to rescue Blanche, she um, gets murdered. I will say there are some of these suspense scenes that um, maybe not the best, (laughs) such as the scene where she writes the letter. Yeah, it's a little bit. It doesn't really make sense. It leaves you questioning the character's actions. I need to talk about this scene because it really stuck in my craw and really affected me. So imagine, dear viewer, you are in the situation that Blanche is. You are locked in your room. You can't walk. You don't have access to a phone. Your captor has just left to go do something. So now you have a little bit of freedom. You hear the neighbor outside. What do you do, dear viewer? I would take my time crafting a very thoughtful letter. Oh, absolutely. It's time to get out the old typewriter. You got to dust it off first. You got to put the paper in, crank it out, make sure it's on the right line, and then you type your novel. And that's what you do if you're Blanche and whatever happened to Baby Jane. Yeah, and it takes approximately the exact same time to write this uh, rescue note as it does for your captor to leave the house and come back again yes absolutely because i'm we're sitting here watching him i'm like all right blanche this is your chance you're gonna write the letter yeah that's really smart blanche oh blanche 
Blanche, what are you doing? Why are you getting the typewriter out? Oh, no, Blanche, why are you writing a letter to the doctor? Why are you not saying, help me, call the police? Why? And then she took the time after she finished the letter to brush it off, read it, make sure everything is right, and then she write found a final write note. another note on the thing on the letter using a pen, which I don't know why she couldn't have used a pen in the first place, saying, Oh, don't show this to my sister. It should have just read, Call police, help. help. <laughs> I'm dying. But oh the, my god. The thing is the remake has the same problem, but it does it actually has a really funny scene where because she has access to a window, she could just scream out yeah. of it at any time. I feel time. like if you were just constantly screaming ah, out the window, ah, eventually somebody would come, come and help you. But the <laughs> in the remake, Blanche screams out the window, and then we just immediately get a super hard cut from from her like yelling for help to the near the neighbors inside their gym working out to like some super stereotypical eighties tunes. Even though this movie is made in. 91. But I would say this movie, okay, so we have a little phrase we like to call the ghost of blah, blah, blah. So I consider the years 1990 and 1991 to be more of an extension of the 80s. Yes. So we call it the ghost of the 80s. It's like a walking dead scenario. So like the ghost of the previous decade shambles onward before it kind of dies and is reborn as something new and unique to that decade. Oh, that's a really elegant way of putting it. Oh, thanks. I was going to say eloquent, but I said elegant instead. It was eloquent. So, yeah, the uh, we're in the ghost of the 80s, I guess. We're in the 90, 91, kind of the ghost of the 80s. Yeah, and they probably filmed it in 90, so. Yeah, so even more so. And, yeah, the, the dramatic cut from Blanche screaming for help to these goobers working out uh, in their, like, super bright colored jumpsuits and stuff. yeah <laughs> it's really goofy but yeah. it at least addresses this issue of like why didn't blanche just yell for help even in the original it is just like you were saying that scene where she writes the letter and then chucks it out the window she does it at the exact worst possible time yeah, her, jane is literally pulling into the driveway and she's like here i go and if she had just screamed out the window at that same time she probably would have been alive and fine but yeah, there's there's a few holes where you're like, okay, this uh, situation ain't really holding up to scrutiny, but it's a movie, and you, we'll give it you a buy pass. into it a little bit. But I think there is a sort of inner motivation to the character of Blanche as to why she doesn't want her sister to get in trouble for what she's doing to her, and that is the guilt that she's always carried with her because she's never told Jane the truth about the accident. And she doesn't feel like it's fair for Jane to suffer because she I think she still does still love Jane but she doesn't think and she doesn't think it's fair for her to suffer anymore because of her meaning because of Blanche's weakness and Blanche's attempted cruelty towards Jane that ends up you know backfiring on herself but also puts Jane in this position where she's gonna get people mad at her again you know if her life is going to be over if the police find out what she's doing to her. And I, I think Jane, I think Blanche feels bad about that because she knows deep down that she has some responsibility for what's happening to her, I think. I don't know about that. I don't know if I agree with that. I think they just didn't have the gumption to make her more aggressive because if you made her more aggressive in her escape, she would have escaped. Therefore, there would have been no more movie. 
yeah it, this might be uh kind of what's that word where you think about something from like after it happens and then you come up with reasons oh about writing it. backwards or something mm, like that there's a word about it but i don't know i think i might be doing that but i'm trying to give a possible explanation for why the movie no i'm anti-blanche yeah my interpretation gives a little bit of humanity to blanche it does but I, I do think that both characters are ultimately shitty, <laughs> but with some positive qualities for sure. Okay, so do you want to talk about the ending of the movie? Yeah, so we could go on and on talking about the stuff Dynamic that happens and, and everything, but we don't want to bore you. So yeah, let's cut to the end of the movie. After Jane murders the housekeeper and then her, her boo-boo... Eddie, who they were kind of collaborating and maybe having a little romantic fling, finds out about what had happened to baby Blanche. They run away to the beach. She she cuts her down out of her restraints, throws her in the car, and they drive to the beach. Yeah, and she wants to go to the beach because she has or Jane has these nice memories of like being a kid and going to the beach and like practicing her show with her dad and the people coming and watching. Yeah. And we we see <laughs> a really kind of comical scene of Blanche with a blanket over her just lying like a dead body in the sand. Right. Wow. While Jane <laughs> well, is just you know, frolicking along the beach, playing with kids. You know what it really reminded me of? And both the remake and the original reminded me of. It reminded me of the episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where they go to the Jersey Shore and Charlie Kelly finds the waitress and they're playing in the sand all <laughs> night. And then the next day the waitress is like, I was on Molly. <laughs> Yeah. They're like picking up gross seaweed and was, playing in the sand. Yeah, in the in the remake, new Jane is like jumping around with sea trash all over her. Oh, like she has actually it. she has actually buried Blanche in the sand. Yeah. <laughs> I actually thought that was really funny. I don't even know if it was intended to be funny. I thought it was really funny. She's got like these trashy, dirty feathers and she's like making a little halo around her in the sand and like drapes the sea grape gross nasty shit all over her and it's <laughs> like setting her up for a ceremonial burial or something it's pretty funny yeah it's i i, I did like that from yeah. the remake but in the original it's a similar vibe whereas blanche is left to die on the beach sort of while yeah. jane is just like you know playing in the sand playing with some kids and then jane has the big reveal where she says like i was driving the car I tried to hit you. And, you know, then Jane is like, oh, we could have been friends. So mm -hmm. then she decides to go get some ice cream. And I think at this point in the movie that, like, Jane's sanity is completely gone. Like, there's no more of the adult Jane left. She's completely reverted to a child because she goes, she gets the ice cream, and then immediately starts walking away without paying. Yeah. And you know, the guys at the stall start shouting like, hey, you have to pay for that, which captures the attention of the police who are looking for Jane because they know that Blanche has been kidnapped. And, you know, they start following her and being like, where's your sister? And, of course, the people on the beach start crowding around. And so Jane just completely disregards the police, 
sees all the people watching her and starts to do a little dance with the ice cream cones. Yeah, and Betty Davis totally sells the the delusional, frenzied whirl of insanity that that character is in at that time. And it's just, for me, what's amazing is it's just all in the eyes. Like, Betsy Davis, her eyes are so... (laughs) Betty Davis. Betty Davis's eyes are just... She's so good at making them vacant and far away so that you can really believe that she is not in the present at all. She's completely detached from this world, and she's just living in the fantasy that she's created in her head. So do you think that whenever Blanche reveals the truth to Baby Jane, I guess there's two questions. First, do you think that Baby Jane really understands what she's telling her? And then second, do you think that Blanche said that as a sort of pure act of kindness or do you think that do you think that there's still that level of manipulation and gaslighting going on between the characters no i think at this point all of the masks have been taken away from blanche because she's at this point she is nothing Mm -hmm. she is so starved and dehydrated that even though there's a bunch of people around them, she doesn't even have the strength to shout at them. She doesn't have the strength to move. So to me, I took it as a deathbed confession. She's like, I have nothing left to lose. I'm going to die. She sees her sister completely detached from reality. She probably knows in her heart of hearts that it is she and this lie that has driven her sister to the brinks of insanity. And so she's like, I'm going to alleviate myself of this guilt. I'm going to confess. This is my last act on this earth. Yes. And I think this is actually where we see Blanche at her most honest mm-hmm. when she confesses. This is when all the airs have been removed. Right. I agree. I don't know if you answered my other question. Oh, did Jane? Did it? I think it kind of registered for Jane. But... It's hard to say because she's absolutely bonkers. <laughs> yeah, it is hard to say. But you wonder, like, had she told her, you know, towards the beginning of the movie, would it what have would been her a- reaction have been? Right. Would all of this been avoided? Would it have sped things up? Right. Would she have just killed her on the spot? Right. We don't know because at that point she's been ground down so much that there's not a whole lot left of her. Right. I mean, she's literally just dancing around the cops with some ice cream cones. Yeah. She's gone. Mm -hmm. She left the building. All right. So I think we kind of talked about the plot and the characters pretty in-depth. Is there anything else you wanted to add on that? Don't watch the remake. Or do if you want to see the inspiration for the rock band Korn from Billy Korn's. If you do want to watch the remake, maybe just watch the weird-ass club scene where they perform because that is just strange yeah it was very strange it was kind of horrific but that's kind of great because the 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 problem with the original what happened with baby jane is there's not a whole lot of entertainment or excitement it's just like this tension and this this bizarre theater of the bizarre but that's not the point if you want excitement go watch an action film this is about this is like a character piece this is about the people i know but it just you know we had to it was just it wasn't that entertaining well i think the problem is that it is too real it it felt is. It is. very real. 
And the thing about reality is it can be a little bit drawn out mm-hmm. and boring. True. I agree. But the thing about this new one and with that scene, that's the kind of what I wanted from the movie was like more of that campy, weird, like truly bizarre, like beyond the pale. And like that that scene of the of Billy Horn coming out as a drag queen and you know, baby Jane having the breakdown on stage and all these weird characters like ogling them and and it was just so weird that I was like my mouth was just agape. I was like, what am I even witnessing? No, I didn't like that. I felt like it was cheap. <laughs> oh, let's laugh at the gay people. Let's show how shitty they are. Let's show cause it really felt homophobic. That scene felt homophobic. The character of Billy Corn felt homophobic because he's a con man and a skis. And then it's discovered that he's a drag queen. And then all but the has people. Has he done that before? Or did he just do that because the well, show must go on? No, you know? I think the, the guy mentions like, oh, you got another one. Well, yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he got another one to do with some drag queen okay, stuff. It could have well, just been like you know what? someone I to read, a little bit. I read on the Wikipedia because I like to read the plot after we watch something. And I read the plot of the 1991 one. The new movie, one. The, new, new one. the new one, and it said that Billy Corn owed money to someone. So that's what he was a con. He said he's a con artist who owed some money. So that's why he hooked Baby Jane because he saw an opportunity to make yeah, some money. Definitely, I got that for sure. It felt cheap and homophobic. I didn't like it. But that begs the question: Why did they put the stuff in there about drag queens? It surely it must have been a nod to the fact that. Betty Davis and Joan Crawford or the original were somehow popular within the gay or drag community, right? If it wanted to be a nod, maybe they shouldn't have made the drag queen character a con artist. I agree, but it's so strange that they decided to even put that in there when they're trying to kind of... And like the patrons at the show were so horrible. Who jeers on a woman having an obvious mental breakdown? But were they really horrible or was it just the movie making magic trying to make us see them as horrible because we were seeing them through the lens it, of Baby Jane? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because that's what they chose to put in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. Definitely watch you know, the original. Maybe, don't watch the new one. Maybe they uh, should have put a scene of Jimmy Corn, volu- Billy Corn, volu- volunteering at an old person's home or cleaning up pol- trash mm. or something. But instead, they chose to make him a con artist. That's all I'm saying. I think that would have been even worse propaganda to just put him in drag and then have him do something kind for no reason other than just to make drag queens look good. Well, it's not to make drag queens look good, but it's to make the character of Billy Corn look good. Right, but he's not a good character. No, he's not a good character. And I feel like in the original, Edwin, he... I don't really know if he's like an overtly bad character. He's kind of greasy. He's weird. He's weird. We don't really know what's going on with him. We don't. he's interested in a lot of different things. Right, but he's not overtly a bad person. He's just not really a good person. Yeah. He seems a bit selfish. Yes. Sure. And a bit of a man child. I think now we could just talk briefly about the technical aspects and the people involved in this movie. And uh, maybe the best place to start would be with the director, which was a man by the name of Robert Aldrich. Now, I had never heard this name before. Had you, Kelsey? No, I didn't. Yeah. And I was really surprised, but he's actually a pretty big name director. He's 
fil- he's made lots of movies, really popular ones like The Dirty Dozen, which I would be down to watch, maybe do a future mm. podcast on because that's supposed to be a really cool old school action movie and The Longest Yard. And there's actually a spiritual kind of sequel to Whatever Happened to Baby Jane that he directs called Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte as well. Uh, but yeah, he's he kills it in this movie. Yeah. A fun fact about Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte was they wanted both characters to return, really? but only Betty Davis did. Oh, I didn't even know Betty Davis was in it. Yes. But she plays a different character. I yeah, assume. she plays a different character. It's okay. not the same movie, but it is in the genre of the psycho bitty. Really? I think. Cool. Cool. And then the music. Devol. 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 Which I take as like a short for volume. And that's why it's like a cool kind of like techno guy from the 80s is Devol. Because he's like going to, he's D. And it's like Devolve. It's cool. But it's just his name. Yeah, his name's Frank name. Devol. Well, when it's presented in the credits, it's just like music by Devol. And I was like, ooh, who's yeah, Devol? No, it's just his last name. It's his name. But he, he does a good job. Yeah. It's like very good music score. Right. It's not tells ambient. Tells you how to feel. It's not ambient music. It's Sometimes it's over the top, but it's good. Mm-hmm. It it fits the tone perfectly. And there's one particular moment where there's some diegetic sound where Jane gets pissed off, slaps the thing holding up the lid of the piano, and this reverberation of sound just echoes throughout the house and fills the the movie for like the next 10 20 30 seconds you, um, it's really cool do you think devil wrote that piece i think devil was responsible for that yeah piano slam <laughs> i don't know that devil made the sound but i think like yeah i mean i don't know how many people are in this back air tinkering with the noises and stuff but i'm gonna give credit to devil yeah i give credit to devil i give credit well this film won an oscar for best best costume design in black and white and the costume design is amazing because as we talk baby baby jane reverts to a childlike state and it's not just it's not only apparent mentally it's apparent physically because she is constantly wearing these like frumpy dresses that are like i don't know they like are frilly and obviously styled for a child they're made for an adult styled for a child and also, she keeps her hair in the ringlets. Like, imagine some Shirley Temple ringlets. But Except, they're gross. But they're matted and yeah. nasty. Like, I, is she just wearing a wig the whole time? She's wearing a wig. But yeah. it's meant to be, like, her real hair. Is it, though? In the movie? Yeah, it's meant to be her real hair. Okay. I think if it was a wig, it wouldn't be so gross. Yeah, maybe. Unless she wears it every day and never cleans it or uh, brushes it out. I mean, you know? it doesn't really matter because the 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 point that's important is she ain't taking care of herself. No, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I won an Oscar for best costume design for black and white movies, which yeah. I found interesting because I didn't know that they used to have separate but equal <laughs> awards for black and white movies and colored movies. Right. 
And it makes sense when you think about it. Because there's does. also another category. It got nominated for Best Cinematography, Black and White. For certain things, it makes sense. Because, like, you know, I think you said yesterday, with costumes, color's kind of important. So if you can't see the color, yeah, of course it's not going to hold up as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there was some other nominations. Betty Davis was nominated for Best Actress. And the guy who plays Edwin, Victor Buono, was, act, was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. But yeah, so then there's some drama with between... There's some drama that unfolded at those Oscars. But then there's a history of drama yes. between so, the actresses. So if any of you are even like an iota familiar with Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, you may know that they have a very famous feud that goes back decades in Hollywood. Well, decades from the time that this movie was made, which is 1962. So right. back till like the 1930s, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I guess it's so iconic that, you know, there's books about it. The guy who made American Horror Story recently did a show on it, I think in ni- 2017. So, you know, it's pretty like, it's a pretty legendary feud. We, I want to know, like, what was the beginning of this feud? I wonder if it started from the first time they met, the first time they worked together. Was there a competition between them? Did they see each other on screen and think, oh, I want to be better than that actress? Or was there a personal relationship that turned sour? Was it initially a friendship? I really want to know what happened. <gasps> okay. So the first flight was in 1933. Um, Joan Crawford was a little bit more established than Betty Davis. She became famous before Betty Davis. So, you know, she was very well known in Hollywood. And in 1933, Betty Davis had her first starring role. Like she had been in movies before, but this was the first time that her name was going to be featured above the title. The movie was called X-Lady. At the same time, Joan Crawford had got a divorce. So when the papers came out, I think it was, oh, the New York Times, they had a small paragraph review of the movie and then pages of news about Joan's divorce. Mm. So I think that was the first slight. Obviously, Betty was very upset. She felt like she was being overshadowed. Yes, yes. By not even, by what news? Is this news? Oh, a a young starlet gets divorced. Oh, it's big news because then all the men have to gear up and try to get ready for competition. Try to get. And a man did gear up for competition. (laughs) I don't want to say it like that, but the next incident happened in 1935 and it did involve a man. Uh, Betty was in love with her actor, with an actor and her co-star, Franchotone, while filming the film Dangerous. Hmm. Unfortunately, he fell in love with Joan Crawford and they ended up getting married. And Joan was quote Joan was quoted that Franchot thought Betty was a good actress, but he never thought of her as a woman. Now, did they stay together? No, they got divorced eventually. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to wonder, like, was, was it just to like piss Betty off? Is that why she went after this man or right, did she right. really love him? Because I was reading some of the quotes from Betty Davis, and she was really, really mad. Even years later when they were interviewing, she's like, I could never forgive Joan for that. 
Yeah. I mean, if it's somebody you know and they do that to you, it's one thing. If it's somebody you don't know, they don't have any responsibility to stay away from your man or whatever. But I guess they kind of knew each other. Yeah, they kind of knew each Had other. Had they worked together at that point? I don't know. I don't know. They on, the only, the only film movie they ever did together was this one. Yeah, was Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Because they loathed each oh, other. They yeah, didn't like, and yeah. they worked for different studios up mm. until a certain point. Up until 1943, Joan worked for MGM, whereas Betty Davis worked for Warner Brothers. Okay. All right, so the next slight is like, it's more of a shade than a slight. In 1936, Betty won an Oscar for the film Dangerous. And I guess she didn't expect to win, so sh- the dress she wore maybe wasn't quite as elegant. And when she won, everybody was congratulating her, and people were, like, kind of goading Joan, being like, whoa, what, you got nothing to say to Betty? And she was like, what a marvelous frock. <laughs> that is a great 1940s or 50s fashion diss. That's some serious shade. What a marvelous frock. I'm thinking about this now, like the feud and the fact that they were on different labels or different different movie companies. It's reminding me almost of a Biggie Tupac situation, you know? They both work for different companies and they're both throwing shade at each other over this really long period of time. I don't really know much about Biggie and Tupac. I know that I they know were that East Coast, either. West Coast, but... Right. But they imagine if Biggie and Tupac starred in a movie together about or wrote a song together. Yeah, about about how mu- about characters that hated each other and were both rappers, but it wasn't true to life. It was like a different story. That's how amazing it is that this movie got made because it captures so much of the essence of their real life combativeness, but somehow got put into a fictional movie. It's really crazy. Right. It is. We mentioned the word time capsule. It really is like a time capsule of these ladies and the animosity they felt towards each other. Mm-hmm. But again, I think, I don't know if we mentioned this, but when you are looking up facts about things that are this old, it's hard to know what is real and what is just like legend. Yeah. Because the rumor mills, they were spinning back in the day. But for some of these things, which we'll get to later in their feud, there are photos to prove. (laughs) 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 There's photographic proof for some of these things. Okay. okay. So let's continue. The The next slight is not really even a slight. In 1943, Jane changed from MGM Studios to Warner Brothers, which was the same one that Betty was in. And she demanded a room near Betty Davis. And apparently Joan tried to mend mend the wounds by sending flowers and presents. But Betty Davis wasn't having any of it. She sent all that shit back. Okay, so now we get to talk about the stuff that happened after the movie was made, right? No, because we still have... (laughs) We still have uh, some stuff to talk about, okay, about okay, the, feud, okay. the feud. So in 1945, you know, Betty Davis, she's an up-and-coming star. She's pretty popular. But she turned down a couple of roles. One role was for a movie called Mildred Pierce, and another movie was called Possessed. Guess who picked up both of those roles? The other Betty? Yeah, Joan Crawford. She picked up both of those roles. She got nominated for both of those roles, and she actually won an Oscar for Mildred Pierce. She got nominated for 
for two Oscars in the same? No. Well, were they in the same year? I don't know. Oh. I don't know. It says 1945. It I think she won the Oscar in 1945, and okay. then the, the movie Possessed was kind of like an afternote. You so know? she picked up Betty Davis's scraps and turned them into Oscar gold. Yes, exactly, exactly. Damn. So you can imagine Betty is like She's not too pleased about that. There's yeah. a really funny picture from uh, Crawford getting her Oscar nomination because for some reason she accepted it while in bed. Hmm. Was there a pandemic raging at the time? I she don't. Zooming into the Oscars? I have no idea, but she was in bed. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now we get to jump forward to after the movie, right? No. What? No. <laughs> There's more. Because I want to talk about what happens after the movie. But well, I we have to also talk about what happens during the oh movie. So God. just hold your britches. Like, just, just calm down a little bit, okay? So in 1950, there, I guess, were some rumors that Betty thought that Joan was attracted to her. Well, apparently, I didn't know this. I guess Joan Crawford was like bisexual. She dated both men and women. Right. You mentioned that earlier, but you said it's kind of on the rumory side. I don't know if it's on the rumory side. I read multiple, multiple sources that mm. said that she dated both men and women. But like you said, it seems very scandalosa. Apparently, her friend and confidant, Jerry Ash. Um, her friend Jimmy and Korn? confident. No, <laughs> not Billy Corn. Billy Corn. Not Billy Corn. But this is Joan Crawford's friend and confident, Jerry Asher, quoted Crawford saying, Franchot isn't interested in Betty, but I wouldn't mind giving her a good poke if I was in the right mood. Oh, wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> I don't know, Joan. Would it be funny? Yeah, that's what happened in 1950. I guess also Crawford, somebody asked, Betty if she wanted to fill go uh, star in a film with Crawford and Betty was like I don't want to be in a dyke flick whoa the d-bomb yeah Holy shit. was it a dyke flick I have no idea <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really do that much research Is there such about a it. thing I don't know I've never heard that term before okay so next 19 let's jump ahead to yeah so we're jumping ahead to after the movie right no we're jumping ahead to oh 1952 we're jumping ahead to 1952 where betty pays homage to joan uh, i guess one of joan's longtime friends wrote a story about a washed up actress trying to cling to her star power mm. spoiler alert it was very based on joan crawford <laughs> <laughs> That, I can't believe that there was so much shade on Joan. But right. I wonder if she was, like, was well, she not a good person? Because um, it seems like she wasn't maybe the best person. I don't know. That's debatable. She was also kind of, like, a powerful woman in Hollywood. And, you know, if you think that there's misogyny in Hollywood today, mm. you should turn the time back to yeah. the 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s, 20s, where humans – are. Women were basically not given human right human rights in the film industries. Yeah, yeah, and you can imagine even a woman reacting, like a woman who had seized power back from that kind of shitty male-dominated system, the way that they would have behaved, the way they would have reacted 
to that system would have made them potentially seem worse or or it, it may have molded them or well, made them kind of shittier people. And you know, you kind of see it today when you see a powerful woman, people are like, "Oh, she's just a bitch." Imagine imagine what it was like back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first time she decided, you know, "Oh, I'm I'm not going to suck the producer's dick to get on this movie. Like, my name is big enough that you want me. You should be sucking my dick. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm not even talking about literal fellatio. It could have been maybe stuff like In that. In some happening, cases but, it was. But l- just the idea that I'm not going to get on my knees and beg for this part. Right. I'm a star now. Right. You come to me and beg. Exactly. She had the power. And, you know, for a woman at that time, it wasn't great. But anyways, her friend wrote a book about her basically mm-hmm. being a washed up starlet trying to cling to fame. And guess who played the the lead role? Betty Davis. To girl Betty Davis. So Betty Davis had played essentially Joan Crawford in a film that yes. showed <laughs> that she was a piece of shit. <laughs> it's exactly. It's like it's like Tupac making a diss track on Biggie. Oh my god. It's crazy. And then they get back on the same track together later. It's, it's wild. Okay. So now let's talk. Let's jump ahead to 1962 to the actual filming of whatever happened to Baby Jane. Because, you know, like, yeah, they're starring together in a film, but that doesn't mean that the hatchet is buried. Mm-hmm. No, no. The drama continues on the set. Yeah, I'd imagine with this level of history and these two ladies that have these big personalities that, and not to mention, but it they get it gets double amplified because the characters they're playing have all this pathology where they're mistreating and gaslighting and abusing each other, both psychologically and physically. That that's going to bleed out into their actual reality too. Right. Right, right. It's like a negative feedback loop, exactly. you know. There's animosity on the set, therefore there's animosity in the film. The animosity in the film just feeds back into the onset yeah. and so on and so right. forth. The characters in reality become a twister of shittiness. <laughs> a shitstorm. A shitstorm. Yeah, exactly. Of epic proportions. So some of these antics include, I guess, uh, Crawford was on Pepsi's board of directors, so Petty Betty decided to have a Coke (laughs) machine installed in her dressing room. In Betty's dressing room or in Joan's dressing room? In Betty's dressing room. So she got a Coke machine in her dressing room because she knew that Joan was into Pepsi? Yeah, she's on the board of directors of Pepsi. Like, I guess it was like, her. you know, she was (laughs) part of the brand of Pepsi. Okay, so she's just like, well... You're on team Pepsi, so I'm going to be on team Coke. Yeah, yeah, that's why I say Petty Betty. It's that's so, so petty. petty. <laughs> I love it. Uh, the next ones are a little bit less petty and a little bit more cruel. Okay. So Crawford insisted on a body double during the beating scenes because she thought Davis might actually hurt her. Mm. But in some of the scenes were like close up on Crawford's face, so they couldn't use a double. Apparently, Betty actually kicked her. That's crazy. Yeah. Because there's only a few scenes where she hits her. I think she slaps her a few times, and then there's one scene where she just beats the ever-living yeah, daylights out of her. Yeah, she's kicking on her. And yeah, so after that scene, Blanche is essentially a ghost. Like, she doesn't speak. She can't move. She's just totally beaten down. Yeah, and completely defeated. And in that scene, Jane is kicking her, kicking her, kicking her. 
and you saying that she actually kicked. I'm Joan. not saying Betty that. This is what her. multiple articles online are but saying. But Joan could have just made that shit up. Oh, absolutely. She yeah. could have just made that shit up because allegedly she got stitches, but there's no pictures of the stitches or yeah, anything. Yeah, so you would think that would have been big news if that know. really happened because, like, given all the previous drama, if something like that happened, but maybe. Joan certainly, maybe Joan wouldn't say that it happened, but I assume she wouldn't deny it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so another thing, this is a uh, retaliation from Crawford in the scene because uh, Blanche is paralyzed. So there are multiple scenes where Betty Davis has to drag around Joan Crawford. Apparently, Joan would make herself heavier <laughs> by putting rocks in her pockets or wearing like a heavy belt or just making her weight dead. Yeah. Well, and you know they would have to do take after take after take, so you can only imagine how Betty Davis's back was feeling by the <laughs> end of the day. I wonder though if that was something she did totally in secret, or if the director had told her to do that, or if that was just something she was doing just to piss off Betty. The way the articles are written make it seem like she did it just to <laughs> piss off Betty, and that seems to go in line with all the other stuff so now we can finally talk about what happens after the movie right yes yes we can. all right you can you can take over what happened what happened in 1963 what ha happened was betty davis as i said before was nominated for best actress for the, this movie and i believe that she deserved the nomination yeah. make ha make no doubt she absolutely deserved that nomination yeah. it was a, a good performance and Joan Crawford's performance, likewise good and much more subtle, so maybe potentially you could say it's a more difficult role, but it's a role which is by necessity in the background to the Baby Jane role. Absolutely, absolutely. There's not enough grit from Crawford. Mm -hmm. And I was reading that, like, it was even it was kind of hard for them to do her makeup for the end of the movie because she just kept looking too beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so Betty Davis is nominated for the Oscar. Joan Crawford is not. But Joan Crawford... It should be noted that they did a publicity tour for whatever happened to Baby Jane. Right, I was gonna, that's what I was going to bring oh, up. Oh, I'm so sorry. You can talk about that's it. That's okay. So yeah, they, Joan Crawford watches the movie before it's kind of officially released but betty davis hasn't so joan crawford calls betty and tells her to watch it and betty watches it and gets back to her and says oh yes the movie's very good i think i did quite an exceptional job and joan crawford's pissed because betty didn't say anything right about her performance right she's like betty thinks it was a one-woman show yeah exactly and this is just it's like the pathology of the characters is now taking on a life of its own and become real but then then um cut to the oscar night joan crawford calls all of these other actresses who are nominated well, for i don't i don't think it happened on oscar night well leading up to the, oscar, the oscars yes, cut the oscar night joan crawford has called some of the other potential winners for best actress who are not there not going to be able to receive the awards themselves and ask them, oh, I would be there to receive the award on your behalf, should you like. And one of them agrees, at least one of them. I think multiple agree. Maybe multiple agree, but one who was in New York 
doing a play or something agrees okay if i win you can accept for me joan and then so betty davis loses the uh, nomination this other actress wins and joan crawford goes up on stage to accept the award for the award that betty davis was nominated and lost for can you uh can you tell us who won the award um no okay it was Anne bancroft for the miracle worker she won best actress joan crawford gets to go up and accept it there are pictures of her with other oscar winners (laughs) proudly holding the statue so she gets to win the oscar for betty date essentially win the oscar and steal it from betty davis it's too crazy to even be it's so funny and in a way and betty davis brings this up in a way she's not doing herself any good because betty said it would have meant a million more dollars to our film if i had won and joan was thrilled i hadn't right and there was also rumors again more rumors that joan had gone around in the shadows before when the voting for the oscars was taking place and that she tried to undermine Betty's chances at winning. Yeah, she was campaigning against yes. Betty. <laughs> <laughs> against her own movie. Which it's just like, again, that's, what is it? It's like revenge. If you are going for revenge, dig two graves. She hurt her own movie by going against her nemesis. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing with Jane and Blanche. They dig both of themselves in a grave together. They're death spiraling downward together either one of them could abort this uh situation at any time but they just keep locked in they yeah, just lock they keep, it in and they never they keep pushing those buttons exactly. until both short circuit exactly so yeah i mean that's a fascinating saga of shade it really is and it really just adds to the pathos and the gravitas of the movie whatever mm-hmm. happened to baby jane yeah. because it almost is like a documentation of these women's hatred for each other it is and then the remake it features two actual sisters as the characters oh my god are we back and on the there's remake just nothing there it's just not no yeah they got real sisters but the re- the real meat of the role is in not the fact that they're sisters it's the fact that they're stars and they understand all the pettiness and the shittiness of the fame and the hollywood bullshit that goes on and that's the thing it's kind of a movie about hollywood it's a movie about movies it's a movie about being an actor and what happens when the spotlight is gone yes and what that can do to a person mentally and spiritually exactly okay i think it's about time to take it to the street. Take it to the street. So, as we said before, we really love reading people's reviews on movies. Sometimes if it's a good movie, we'll read the bad reviews. Sometimes if it's a bad movie, we'll read the good reviews. Last time it was a good movie and we read good reviews. Well, we have a treat for you today with some bad reviews. Yes, because we thought the original What Happened to Baby JJ was quite good. Yeah, I mean. Like I said, I wasn't extraordinarily entertained while watching it, but I can acknowledge that all of the pieces and the legend behind it, it's a great movie. It is. It's a great movie. well worth watching, but some people disagree. So let's take it to the streets. Let's see some differing opinions. Right. So when the the movie first came out, it received a bit of a mixed critical reception. And um, that's interesting because... As we had discussed earlier, 
the movie's a bit of a time capsule, so I think it would be good to listen to a bit of a review from back in the day when it was released. So a guy by the name of Bosley Crowther observed this. The feeble attempts that Mr. Aldrich has made to suggest the irony of two once-idolized and wealthy females living in such depravity and the pathos of their deep-seated envy having brought them to this wash out very quickly under the flood of sheer grotesquerie. There is nothing moving or particularly significant about these two. Um... Fuck you, patriarch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe Bosley Crowther was a little... Misogynistic? Um, perturbed by the fact that this m is a movie all about women and women's issues and a sort of tale that doesn't particularly need his penis to be involved in it. Right, and I'm sure he would love for his penis to be involved with Joan Crawford and Betty Davis, <laughs> even as they were in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Yes. I think that's a safe assumption to make about this person that I have absolutely no knowledge about. Well, you know that he didn't like the movie. Yes. And I actually disagree with him because, well, while Mr. Bosley Crowther was being his honest self, I have to say, Bosley, I disagree because the sheer grotesquerie of the film, the fact that, you know, the, the stuff it's trying to say about the psychology of the characters, he says it washes out because of the kind of meaninglessness of the ending and the twist. I think that that brings something extra special to the movie because it do you think that there's some order, you think that there's something you can count on with the relationship between these characters, and then everything gets flipped on its head, and the viewer is just left with a nihilistic feeling of, wow, this is all meaningless. This suffering shouldn't have happened at all. Right. And as this review kind of gives me a feeling that this guy didn't really know what to expect when he walked into the film. He was probably just like, oh, flick with Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Oh, some real star power in there. <laughs> he probably didn't expect the psychological horror that awaited mm, him. Mm. And, you know, sometimes when you go into a movie with expectations, it can kind of ruin the experience for you. Right. And there's a tendency for movies that are considered subversive, which the director, Robert Aldrich, is apparently famous for making kind of movies with subversive tone. And this movie certainly has a subversive tone to it. It doesn't fit the mold you'd expect of a movie starring a couple of famous actresses, you know? Yeah, like you said, he had one expectation and it was subverted and he got his, he got his feelings hurt oh, a little bit. Oh, he got his little feelings hurt. <laughs> the big bad Crawford and Davis, they, they trick him. They so mean. Mm -hmm. they, they what mean. a poor baby. They ouch his heart. They ouch his heart. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have so any? those are the streets of 1960 we've taken it to now. Let's hear from the streets of today. What well, are people saying about this movie today? This is the streets of 2004. This review comes from One Potato 2. <laughs> One Potato 2. Yeah, on potato. IMDb. One star. Oh, for the love of, will one of you biddies shut up and die already? <laughs> <laughs> That's the title. Okay, spoilers. There could be no worse way to envision hell than to actually sit through this overrated, joyless, 
tedious film. <laughs> you could age as badly as Betty Davis while waiting for two or three classic campy line readings. Joan Crawford as a spineless pushover is absurd. The arrangement of a gothic horror house immediately adjacent to a perky dumb suburban 60s family with a carport, don't know why that's important, is just one of the movie's off-genre puzzles. Just where one might reasonably expect some denouement. Denouement? 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 A completely unwelcome subplot involving Victor Buono, Edwin, appears, lingers, and doubles the already unbearable running time. <laughs> this movie is a feat of endurance. Watching it, actually, is no better than hearing a drag queen repeat its overexposed lines for an easy laugh. The bizarre anticlimax in which two biddies end up on the beach and Joan dies, apparently of chattiness, is a head-scratcher. The strange, uneven sequel, Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, is the better of the two as entertainment. Hmm. Well, I think that One Potato 2 has some points about the running Absolutely, time. absolutely. And you know what? I can understand where One Potato 2 is coming from. It's just not his style. He's th This movie is a slow burn. It's a pressure cooker. We're on one set for 90% of the movie. So... If you're not into that kind of movie, I could see how you'd be like, when is this going to end? Yeah. Saying it's a slow burn is being nice. There's You could use a lot of negative words to describe the fact that the movie slogs along a little bit. But that is kind of the only complaint that you can have about the movie in my mind. The only complaint that I have is that it's just a little bit long. And it is a bit of a test of endurance to get through it. Well, I put it into the genre of feel bad movies mm, i You're, would agree with that you can't go into this and expect to come out like feeling good about yourself mm -hmm. where a movie like kickboxer is a power fantasy where you get to overcome all the bad guys a movie like this has a more ambiguous ending it's not a happy ending yeah and he says that joan crawford dies but i don't know that she does no. i mean i think no. she does in the book but in the movie, in the movie, it's left up to judgment. In the remake, she certainly does survive, and it has a more of like a happier ending. Like everything's fine. Right. Jane kind of forgives her, overtly forgives her, and she mm -hmm. even gets the police and takes the police to Blanche. And the police even says, "You're gonna be okay," because <laughs> they couldn't just leave it up to the audience. They have to tell us as yeah. they do in all other scenes. Yeah, I did like One Potato Two's little pun about. Th Joan Crawford's spineless character or whatever. Oh, uh, I didn't catch that. Good. Nice on oh, one potato. One potato two. Well, I have a little bit more respect for one potato two. Although the line about the drag queen was a little bit odd. Because I guess. Well, the, yeah, I mean. I don't really go to drag shows a lot. Is especially he like, because that's before RuPaul's 2004. Right. So I guess the drag this is something that eludes me maybe the audience can help to clue us in a little bit about this what is the connection between this movie and drag and gay culture exactly because is there's it, clearly a strong connection what is it is it I'm just sure. betty davis and joan crawford is it something more we are ignorant please 
if you feel so kind, enlighten us. But one potato too. I wish he was here to tell us because he seems love, to know. Yeah, I would love to bring one potato too on because I feel like his opinions come from a place that aren't just misogyny. Agreed. Unlike Bosley Crowther. Bosley Crowther. Yeah, he's dead now. We he's a real Billy Corn, ain't he? <laughs> Well, Billy Corn, I thought he looked quite gorgeous as a drag queen. Yeah, I thought he looked really good. I thought she looked really good whenever she was in her drag. What's Billy Corn's drag name? Maybe that is her Pop drag in the name. Corn. Pop and Corn. Children. Ooh, Pop and Corn. That's a really good drag name. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. I guess that's all. Let's wrap it up. We went to the streets. We yep. went to the sheets. So, um, final thoughts on uh, what happened to Baby JJ's? It's a good movie. It's very historical. All the little facts around it, all the innuendos really build it up to being, I don't know if I would call it a masterpiece, but yeah, it's just shy of being a masterpiece. And my advice to you, if you're going to watch it, don't start it at 11 p.m., all right, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are watch the original, don't watch the remake, unless you actively enjoy watching bad movies. Yeah, yeah. Except to watch Billy Corn. You're going to want to see him. He steals the show. His hair. I want my hair to be like that. You don't got that curly hair, boo-boo. I mean, I could perm it out. Oh, I forgot to mention our next film is going to be Made in Manhattan. Yeah, we're going to watch Made in Manhattan. I've been really excited to watch that because I've always wanted to watch it. Really? Yeah. I've. Well, it's not really kosher for a man to desire to watch Made in Manhattan, let's be honest. I think it's great. I think this is the kind of positive masculinity we need. Hmm. I bet Aragorn would watch Made in Manhattan. <laughs> I think Aragorn would be far too busy dealing with, you know, ruling the realms of men to have time to you don't watch think? Maiden Manhattan. Uh, you know what? I, but I think a good ruler has a balanced life, and he would find the time to watch Maiden Manhattan a good ruler if he does, wanted to. But a great ruler has no time for such frivolity. Friv frivolous. We're watching Made in Manhattan. Yeah, it's going to be cool. So um, join us next time. Just remember to uh, never surrender. Never say die. Never say die. And uh, write your letters to daddy. Goodbye. Peace.